It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Turn to the person next to you and say, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> I want to talk to you this weekend about what it means to be a neighbor. You know, this week, there's a movie coming out all about Fred Rogers and his show. How many of y'all grew up watching the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Come on. How many of your kids watch Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood now, the spinoff version? I'm, I'm telling my kids, you don't know what it was like. See, I grew up without cable TV most of my years um, as a kid and teenager. And so we would watch the PBS channel because we could pick that up on our channels at the house. And even though we didn't have that many cartoons, Mr. Rogers was on and I'd be like, oh, Mr. Rogers. But I would sit there and I would just be glued to the television as he pulled out a sock puppet and just talked about kindness and talked about managing our emotions, our anger. How many of y'all feel like our world could use some more Mr. Rogers teaching. Like our world is so triggered. There's so much violence. There's so much hurt. There's so much hate. I mean, even just two days ago, as I was preparing this message, I'm watching on the news and there's another school shooting. And I was talking to God this week. I was like, God, I feel like our church has heard all there is to hear about love and kindness. I want to preach something impressive. He said, Paul, don't aim to impress, just aim to love. The world doesn't need people trying to impress each other. The world just needs more love. And if we'll love, that's the most impressive thing we can do in God's eyes is love our neighbor as we love ourselves and receive the love that God has for us. And you are so loved by God. God loves you so much. I remember going on this trip 15 years ago um, to Atlanta, Georgia, and I was with a team of young adults from Oral Roberts University. And uh, yeah, any ORU students in the house? Come on. And, um, and while I was there, I came across this homeless man who was sitting out in the park. He had his Bible open, had a grocery cart with all of his stuff in the grocery cart. I could tell this man was homeless. And I walked over to him. I said, what are you reading? He said, I'm, I'm just reading through the Psalms. He said, why do you care? I said, because I care. I said, can I sit and talk with you? He said, who are you? Why do you want to talk with me? I said, my name's Paul. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, Tulsa, Oklahoma. What is a man from Tulsa, Oklahoma doing in Atlanta, Georgia, right out here in this park? I said, I'm here with a team of people. We're just doing some missions work. And uh, he said, you know, I used to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, that's a good city. I said, it's a great city. He said, what church are you from? I said, I'm from Victory Church. He said, Victory Christian Center? You from Victory Church? I said, yes, sir. And he goes, I used to go to Victory Church. I said, what? He said, those are the kindest people I've ever met in my life. Those people at Victory, they're the sweetest people. Come on, give yourselves a hand. That's a good reputation, church. Your reputation precedes you wherever you go. People know Victory is a place of love, acceptance, forgiveness, kindness. He said, you know, I always felt loved when I was at Victory. I said, how'd you end up here in Atlanta? He said, man, I had some tough breaks and I lost my wife, lost my job, lost my kids. I ended up on the streets. He said, I'm out here, I'm homeless. He said, let me show you something. He pulls out this little book. I kid you not, he pulls out this little book with my dad's name at the bottom and it's called, You Are Valuable. And he said, I've had this book for 15 years. He said, your church sold these books in the bookstore and I, I went and got several of them because he said, I thought it was such a profound message. I said. What's so profound about the thought, you are valuable? He said, we don't hear it enough. 
We don't hear it enough in our society. We have so much complex, theologically disturbing, confusing sermons that we don't know what to do with. We just need to be reminded that we're valuable and that God has a plan for our lives and that God wants us to love our neighbor. This man's preaching to me. And so I'm sitting there listening to him and he goes, here's this chapter right here. He said, you are God's masterpiece. He starts talking with me about the chapters in this book. He said, I read this book. It was torn. It had dirt on it. He said, this is my favorite book outside the Bible. He said, I read this on a regular basis because he said, out here on the streets, I don't feel valuable. And he said, but this book reminds me I'm valuable. He said, do you think you could tell the pastors? He said, do you think you'll ever end up talking to the pastors there at Victory about? (laughs) I said, yeah, I I talked to them. He said, do you think you could tell him how grateful I am? I said, yeah, I could tell him. He said, how do you have access to talk to him? I said, "Uh, I know him. He said, you know them? How well do you know them? I said, pretty well. (laughs) He said, are you related to them? I said, I'm their youngest son. I'm Paul Doherty. He goes, oh, you are Billy Joe Doherty's son? You are, he said that, your mom, Sharon, she can sing. And your daddy, he's the nicest man I've ever met. I thought that's one of the greatest compliments that we could receive. If there's one thing we can learn from Mr. Rogers is that the world doesn't need any more information. The world needs kindness. Even last night, I was picking up a pizza for my family and um, at the pizza place I was at, people were sitting down. It was like a pizza restaurant. So I went to go and get the pizza to go The waitress comes to me and she's stressed. She's like, here you go. I said, are you doing okay? She said, no. I said, what's wrong? She goes, customers. (laughs) I said, yeah, us customers, we can be a problem sometimes. She goes, yeah, y'all can. She said, not you, the people inside. I said, yeah. She said, they're just so rude. She's like, I just witnessed a customer yelling at another family sitting at a table because their toddlers were just a little too loud. And I thought, that could have been my family. My kids are always loud. She said, it's just sad how triggered people are. It's like people are just always wanting to get in a fight and there's just so much stress and anxiety and tension and strife. And I said, ma'am, I just, I wanna encourage you. Things are gonna get better. And, and so I left her a tip, invited her victory. She might be here today, but I think our world could use more kindness. I came across this, um, this picture that I wanted to show you. And it says why you should be gentle to people. Why we should be gentle to people because here's someone's life beneath the surface and here's what little we know about it. I posted this online and I had several people go, if we even know that much about it. (laughs) Because the reality is we don't know much about people, but the the, the real reason we should be gentle is because God commanded us to. That's like his commandment. His greatest commandment was not preach impressive sermons. His greatest commandment was not study a bunch of knowledge. His greatest commandment is love one another. The world will know that you are my church by the way that you love one another. And love is not just a thought, it's an action. Love is a verb. And so I want you to stand up on your feet all over this room today because we're a family, we're not a crowd, and we're gonna show some love by lifting our neighbor's hands. And I'm gonna invite some neighbors up on the stage. I don't wanna be by myself today. You don't know what the people on your left or right are going through, but I can tell you this. They could use a lifted hand of love and encouragement to know their their life is about to get better. The best days are still in front of them. God's not finished with them yet. They're here on purpose. They have a purpose. No matter how cheesy it may sound, it's the most important thing someone could hear this week. So let's say this together on the count of three, all over this room. Here we go, church. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right, give three people a hug or a high five and say, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Come on, somebody. Well, welcome to the neighborhood, y'all. Hey, we got chicken, we got rolls, I got water. You guys want coffee? You want some lemonade? You want a Coke, Dr. Pepper? Henshaw doesn't drink Coke, he's so solid. He's single, by the way, ladies. 
I got, I got some singles on the stage, some married people. We're going to have some fun. Welcome to the neighborhood here, Victory. Um, anybody want to roll out there? Come on. Who wants to roll? Who wants to roll? Throwing rolls right here. Lambert's Cafe. Who wants to roll? You want to roll? You want to roll? You want to roll over here, John? Come on. A little heart uh, way out there. Come on. Welcome to the neighborhood. There it goes. You guys want some chicken? We got some Cane's chicken in the house. Come on. Hey, uh, yeah, we couldn't get Chick-fil-A. It's closed on Sunday. Closed on Sunday. So if you got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 10. Um, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a neighbor? And why is this such an important message for our world to hear right now? Um, so this expert who like studied theology, he knew all the sermons. He had studied everything there was to know about God. He comes up to um, Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to go to heaven? Like, what do I have to do to get into the eternal life with the angels and you and I don't have to go to hell? And so Jesus says, well, what's written in the law and how do you read it? And so the man says, okay, well, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's say that together. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Ding, 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 you got it. Do this and you will go to heaven. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked the question, um, who is my neighbor? Let's say that together. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus begins to tell this story. And I need some help. We're in, we're in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood today. So we're gonna make this interactive and fun. Coach JC, can you act for me in this story? All right, so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was on his way when all of a sudden he was attacked by a bunch of robbers. I need some robbers. Jump in there and take him down. Yeah, they begin to beat him. They stripped him of it. Don't strip him of his clothes. This is church. We're keeping it G-rated. They took his money. They took his iPhone. They took his wallet. Take his iPhone. He's trying to, he's trying to keep it. Yeah, you got to get that. Don't let him get that. And it says they left him half dead. In other words, it, he looked dead, but he was still alive. There's some people in your life that look dead, but they're still alive. There's some children in your neighborhood. They look dead. There's some teenagers. They're suicidal. They're depressed. They look half dead. They're just waiting for someone to breathe life back into them. They're waiting for a church that will stop and say, I see you and I'm not just having pity on you. I'm moving in love and compassion. There's people all around you that look dead. They're dying. They're in the cubicle next to you. They're on your dorm floor. They're in this church. They're in the cafe. They're on the streets. They're at Quick Trip. They're at your school, they're in your neighborhood, and they're just waiting for someone to pass by who will see them. So here's what happens. Um, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Pastor David, will you be a priest? I want you to get your hands, to, yeah, you've been praying, you've been listening to my sermons, Bishop Jake's sermons, you got all the sermons in you. You see the man and you go, mm, I need to go listen to some more sermons, I need to go work on some sermons, and he moves along. Here's the problem. The priest should have been the first person to stop. But Jesus was trying to prove a story here that oftentimes we're more preoccupied with ministry than actually ministering to the people that are right in front of us. We're, we're oftentimes more preoccupied with sermons than we are living the sermons. I, I even had a problem again, um, preparing this, this message to you because I'm going, they've already heard it. God says, I don't care if they've heard it, they've got to live it. And in order to live it, it's gotta be repeated on a regular basis to remind them, don't aim to impress, aim to be kind, aim to be loved, aim to be Jesus, because you might be the only Jesus someone sees this week. And they don't need another impressive sermon, they need you to live out the love of Jesus Christ. So next comes a Levite. Tara, will you be a Levite? Come on, we believe in women preachers too, women pastors. Now, Tara, you just got done with the Bethmore Bible study. You are fueled up. You got the word in you. You've been listening to some Carrie Job, some Bethel, some Hillsong worship, some victory worship. You are ready and you're walking down the road and you see this guy who's struggling. He's crying out for help and you keep on going. <laughs> and I just wonder if sometimes this is, this is us because we're going, Ah, oh, you know, I'm busy. Plus, he kind of smells. He's kind of bloody. I'll let the church that helps him help him. And Jesus says, you are that church. I need you to be the church. Well, I'll let 
the bus ministry, I'll let the team pastors, I'll let the benevolence ministry help, I'll let Paul and Ashley or Mark Kresge take care. And God's going, no, no, I need you. I'm looking for someone to be a neighbor. This story is about us. It's about how we handle the people around us. And I just wonder if sometimes we're too busy or too selfish or too judgmental that we miss the people God's calling us to love right in front of us. And so lastly, there was a Samaritan. Stefan, will you be the Samaritan? Um, and, and so don't, don't help him yet because I wanna set this up. The Samaritan is not a pastor. He doesn't work at a church. He's not a preacher. He's a businessman. And he doesn't really get along with the Jews. The Samaritans and the Jews, they were two different tribes. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't hang out with each other. They didn't like each other. He just gets done doing a business meeting. He's heading back home. He's got to get home because he's you know, got stuff to do back at his house. But as he's going home, all of a sudden he notices a hurting Jewish man. And he has pity on him and his pity leads him to action, compassion. And he begins to anoint him with oil. He begins to bandage up his wounds. He even pulls him up and places him on a donkey. I need a donkey today. Who wants to be a donkey? I'll be, I'll be the donkey. I'll, I, don't, I don't mind. I'll be... Hey, turn to the person next to say, if God can use donkeys, he can use you too. Come on, sometimes you're just a donkey. So the donkey carried him to the inn. This is a little awkward. Let's finish it right here. You just, uh, yeah, give these guys a big hand. Sometimes you get casted as a donkey. It's all right. But here's the point that I really, began to look at, and that was that when he got to the end, the end restored him, the end healed him, the end took care of him. And I heard God saying, the end is the church. That end in the story is what the church is supposed to be. The church is not a, a yacht club. We're not a members only club. We're not a church for church people. We're not a church for already healed people. We're a church for the broken, for the down and out. We're a hospital for the hurting. So bring in your weary, bring in your tired. We are a church for the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the Asian and the Hispanic, the young and the old, the gay and the straight, the sinner and the saint. I don't care what you came in here with, you are welcome in this church. Now the religious spirit goes, I don't know, Paul, I think we should card them at the door. And let's check and see how holy they've been in the last week before we let them in. No, no, no. See, Jesus, he hung around sinners. He loved Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus sinned differently than, Jesus, than, than any of those disciples. Zacchaeus sinned with greed. He was greedy. And yet Jesus loved him. Jesus loved the woman caught in the act of adultery. Instead of shoving a sermon right down her throat after she committed adultery, he actually gets down in the dust and he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. His love opened the door for his truth. He brought grace and truth everywhere he went. And Jesus has called us to bring love and truth. Some of us in the room, we go, well, it's kind of hard for me to love someone who sins like that because they sin differently than you. And here's the real question, can you be a neighbor and love the people who sin differently than you? Because some of you sinned this week, you go, well, I didn't sin, I just got a little angry, I cussed in my head, I didn't cuss with my mouth, I thought about the word, I didn't say it, I got a little angry, but in the Bible, anger is a sin. Yeah, but Paul, my neighbor, they're struggling in like some deep sexual sin. Can you love people that sin differently than you? And can we open the doors and say, there's room for you at the table. I will be a neighbor to you. I will love you even though we're coming from different tribes, different camps, different backgrounds, different economic statuses. The good Samaritan, he crossed all the boundaries and he loved someone that was different than him. It's easy for me to love someone that's just like me. It's hard for me to love someone who's so different than me that I don't see eye to eye on with everything. And then watch this, the next day, the good Samaritan, he takes out his own money. So, so being a neighbor is spending your own money. Being a neighbor is being the in, is investing what we have to help those that are in need. And then um, he gives it to the innkeeper and he says, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Jesus then turns the question and he says, which of these three, which of these three guys 
lived out what I expect you to live like? Which of these three guys embodied the kind of church that I'm looking for? Not the stuck up church, not the church that says us for no more. Which of these three people was the Christian that I'm looking for? And the expert says, it was the guy who had mercy on him. It was the guy who showed, it was the good Samaritan. And then the punchline right here, Jesus turns it to all of us and he says, go and do likewise. So let's talk about that. Um, what does it look like to be a neighbor, y'all? And, and how can we show this to the people that are all around us? Who wants to start? Who wants to start? You wanna start, Stefan? Sure. Come on, um, Stefan serves out the Tulsa Dream Center, working with our Victory North Campus, getting ready to launch. You know, um, when I think about a neighbor, oftentimes we think about someone outside of our home, but I'm gonna tell about someone inside my home that made a huge impact on me, yeah. and it was my mother. How many are thankful for your mother in this room? Come on. I love her to pieces. And uh, when I was younger and dealing with a lot of confusion, um, about to make some decisions that would affect the rest of my life, she looked at me and she said, I'm praying for you. And she said, you are much better than what you're acting like right now. I know there's more in you than what you're showing me. And she held me accountable to that. And she said, I'm praying for you. Well, a couple days later, I remember busting into her room and she didn't know I was coming. And I literally saw her on her knees praying for me. Wow. And I, at that moment, I thought, okay, she's, she's not trying to hurt me. She's really trying to help me. Either I can fight against her or I can partner with her. I chose, let me see what will happen if I partner with her. I've never turned back since. I'm super thankful for that. Come on, I love that. And there was another person you were sharing. Yes. And then there was another neighbor, uh, my stepdad. He, um, me and him, we would argue and when I was younger and he just really saw more in me than what I was outputting. And he, I remember him looking at me and he said, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna treat you according to what I see today. I'm gonna treat you according to your potential. I wanna see you rise up. And that's my belief is that as I treat you this way, you're gonna rise up to my expectation. And it opened my eyes where I, I, I began to feel confident in business and things like that uh, at a very young age and, and be and com comfortable like challenging people that were you know, much older than me and talking. And, and it, was, it was a really neat experience because he helped me gain more confidence. I love that. I love yes. that. So he was the neighbor. And oftentimes it's hard to be the neighbor to the people that are in our own house. It's almost easier to go on a mission trip and love a stranger than it is to love your own family members. This message starts right in our own home. Start where you are, start loving the people that are right in front of you. Mark, talk about in your life when you came here, who was a neighbor in your life and what did they do? By far, um, when I moved here 11 years ago, I was here visiting and uh, there was a couple, Ron, uh, Ronnie and Pam Cornwell, uh, been members here a long time at Victory. And um, you know, when I came here to Tulsa, I was very broken, um, was, was uh, highly addicted to a lot of different things and just needed wholeness in my life. And uh, they were a couple who reached out and really in a time where I didn't think that the church was um, uh, a representative of God in, in a great way, mm. um, they, were, they were great representatives. They reached out to me, they opened their home. Um, they took the time to just walk with me, to pray with me, to explain things to me. Um, they, they sacrificed. You, know, you asked the question, what does it look like to be a neighbor? And, uh, and I really do think it's, it's John 15, 13, where he says, no greater love is this than one who would lay down their life for a friend or for yes. a neighbor. And so I think it looks like self-sacrifice. I think it looks like sacrificing self-interest. Um, not that it's wrong to have self-interest, but not only self-interest and to, to be interested in the needs of other people. And so they showed me firsthand what that looked like. And as I was in a journey and a process and still am, you know, in so many ways. Um, but when, as I was getting free, they were the couple who walked alongside of me to encourage me when I felt like I couldn't make it, when I didn't have what it took, um, when I felt like a failure, uh, when I felt unworthy of love. They were the couple that continually showed up. Uh, I'm having dinner with them tonight. I mean, we still walk with them after I love 11 that. years. Um, I love you that. Know, and they're, they're, they're much older than I am. Um, so there's a generational gap there, um, but they have just poured so much wisdom and grace and love and, um, and really the roadmap to success in so many areas in my, in my wife and I and our family, and I'm so grateful. You know, Come on, so, yeah. and let me just say this. Yeah, that's powerful. Give Mark a big hand. Um, oftentimes we feel like it's someone else's job to search us out, 
But in that situation, it was a mutual pursuit that Mark was looking for that. They were looking for it. And if each of us would start looking beyond our own you know, selves, our own families and say, you know, who can I serve this week? Who can I encourage? Who can I invite over for dinner? Um, who can I invite over for a Bible study? Daniel, you shared something about how your brother really spoke this to you when you were in college. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we're waiting on someone to be a neighbor to us. And um, our natural tendency is to sit back and even in times of loneliness, just go, man, I wish someone would bring me in. I wish someone would reach out. I wish someone would show that love. Someone would show that, that friendliness. And I remember my brother shared this uh, to me and I've never forgotten him. He said, do you wanna be a here I am person or do you wanna be a there you are person? And I thought about it and I thought, man, what, what does that really look like? to walk that out. And he said, when you walk into a room, when you show up to a place, at the time I was in college, and he said, when you come on campus, yeah. you wanna be a person that just sits back, kind of plays it cool and says, man, I wish someone would bring me in. I'm not gonna show that I'm lonely. I'm not gonna show that vulnerability. I'm gonna wait for someone to approach. Or do you wanna be a there you are and go out and reach people? And you know, you talked about Zacchaeus earlier. And I think about when Jesus was going, he didn't say to people, here I am, but he said, there you are. He saw him up in the yes. tree, went into his home, ministered to him. And I think that in that, when we reach out, our loneliness or whatever it is that we're needing, you know, Proverbs 11 says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And that's that. what my brother was trying to teach me was as you reach out, as you say, there you are, you're refreshed just as much as you refresh others. So good. I think oftentimes the healing, yeah, give Daniel a big hand. I love it. Come on, we're just generous with our encouragement. The healing that we need will flow from the compassion that we show. Like when my father passed on Father's Day, I was so sad because I was like, ah, oh, I just want my dad here that first year. This is actually 10 years this week that he passed away. Um, but I remember the first year, 2010, not having him on Father's Day. And, um, and I heard God say, go to the nursing homes and find fathers who have no kids loving on them. So on that Father's Day, I found a few nursing homes in town. I went to those nursing homes um, and I found a couple of older gentlemen in the nursing home. And I just went into the room. I said, how you doing? They said, good, why are you here? <laughs> they were like, do I know you? Who are you? Are you my son? And I forgot you were. I said, no, I, I'm Paul. I said, but today I, I wanna be a son to you and I wanna show you love. This one man, he started to cry. I remember his name, his name was John. He said, I haven't seen my kids in 20 years. He said, thanks for coming. He said, what day is it today? I said, it's Father's Day. I said, happy Father's Day. He said, thanks for coming. Guys, our, our, our world doesn't need more information. Our world needs old fashioned application of kindness and compassion. Just getting our eyes off ourselves. We gotta get back to the basics on that. Grand Grand, you live this out so well. I got my Grand Grand up here, come on. The mom of my dad, Grand Grand, you, you practice this message. T tell a little story about loving on your neighbor. Well, Paul, when my husband went on to be with the Lord, your granddad, it was hard. I was working at a radio station, but all three of my sons come home. Your dad had just started being a youth pastor at Sheridan Christian Center. He'd only been there about a month then. And Charles had been in the Vietnam War. He came home, but he still had to go back overseas. And Jack was in Bartlesville and had to go back. He was just started building Western Sizzling there. But the hardest thing for me to do was be by myself. Mm. So when they were all leaving me by myself, and I did not have a relative in that town, Billy Joe looked at me. I think I was sitting in a rocking chair because he said, Mom, you can sit there in that rocking chair and grow old, or you can get out and do something for somebody else, and you can have a good life. Come on. Well, and I worked at the radio station, but my boss built the first nursing home in that town. And then he says, will you also keep books for the nursing home here at the radio station? So I had two books, bookkeeping to do. And the hardest thing for me to do every afternoon, because I went right back to work after all three of the boys left. And um, we had been empty nesters for about two years after dad came to ORU. So the hardest thing for me to do was go home by myself. 
And I thought, I can't. I, we had done everything together. We worked right across the street from each other. We went to, work, went to work together. We went to lunch together. We went home together. And usually he'd come across the street and we'd go to coffee break together. So I thought, I can't go home. I just can't. So I thought, well, I'll go down to the nursing home. I know their names because I send them bills. But I didn't know all the persons individually. So I just went down there and started walking up and down the aisles, going in the rooms I didn't know, praying for them and just talking to them. And then I could go home and be so grateful that I had a home to go to. I Come could on. walk, I could talk, I could move around. And I have found out still now, when I get down and when I feel lonesome, if I think about somebody else I can do something for that helps me get over it because I know that is what helped me get over him going to heaven before I did. It's powerful, Gregory. Love you. So good. So good. No, you can keep it. I just wanted to hold your hand. It's powerful. Love you. Deb, you were sharing. Um, Deb serves in Victory College, but also serves at Victory Youth. Um, you were sharing about what it looks like to be a neighbor and how that happens in your life. Yeah, I think um, one of the most impactful thing about being a neighbor is being a safe place for someone. Uh, being a place where someone can come and talk through their season, um, wrestle with the practical side of faith. Um, and I remember while I was in college at ORU, um, the Lord is really teaching me that faith is bigger than your reality because um, I would, would feel the pressure of excelling in school, excelling in leadership and, you know, planning for your future, um, but didn't really know how to process that practically. Um, and thankfully, I had a roommate where I can go home to and like didn't have any pressure. And so I'd be like, okay, today was a tough day. This is what happened. Um, and they just like heard me out, but they never left me stuck um, in where I was. And they always encouraged me with truth and spoke that out. Out, um, and pointed me back to Jesus. And I found that me practicing that with my roommate taught me how to do the same with the Lord. You know, he says to bring your concerns to me and the peace of God that guards your, um, your peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your mind and your heart. But I have to be able to give it to the Lord in order for to receive that peace. And so my neighbor creating a safe place for me allowed me to grow and to be able to speak to the Lord and bring the things of life to him. I love that. I love that. You know, yeah. So what Deb's saying here is being a neighbor is not doing all the talking. It's listening to each other. Like when Job in the Bible was going through the worst season in his life, he didn't need friends preaching at him. He needed friends sitting there just listening to him. How many are thankful for the people who've sat with you and listened when you just needed a shoulder to cry on or just to vent to somebody and a safe place? Because I've, I've opened up to people and then I'm like, oh snap, who are they gonna tell that to? Who are they gonna gossip about me with? And then there's people in my life, you know, my wife is one of them, my grand grand's one of them, my mom, who said, you can open up to me, Paul, it's gonna stay right here. Creating that safe place, to say, being a neighbor is saying, hey, you can share with me. If you're not, it's okay to not be okay. And I want you to know that you, you don't have to come to victory and wear, like this is not Halloween every Sunday. You could take off the mask, take off the costume, just come in as you are. If you're not okay, it's okay. But here's what I want you to know. You can come not okay. We're praying that you're gonna leave okay. We're gonna pray that you leave better than how you came in. And the longer you come to victory, the more hope, the more of your best days you start living in. And that's what we wanna do is create that place where you can be honest and then get better, get healed. That's what, the, that's what the Good Samaritan did. He said, come as you are, come into the end. You don't have to change, come on in, but the end is gonna heal you, it's gonna restore you. And by the time you leave this end, you're gonna be better off and you're gonna become one of the doctors here. You're gonna start bringing patients in. This is a hospital. You're either a patient or you're on the medical staff. You're, you're a nurse or a doctor, you're bringing patients in. The question is, do you know which one you are right now? Because some of you, you might be sick, you might be hurting discouraged, heartbroken, in need of some of healing today. We're gonna pray for you at the end of service. Some of you in the room, you've forgotten that you're a doctor and a nurse and God needs you to administer his healing love to the people that are around you. Coach JC, you had a great story on this when you were on a date night here recently and what happened? I want you to share it with them. Yeah, so me and my wife, we were uh, taking a date night. We were downtown, we, we got out of the car 
just started walking towards the restaurant and there was a homeless guy. And um, this happens often to me. God just puts people in my path and I'm looking for it. And so uh, I stopped, I watched this, multiple people walked by this individual, this, this man. And you know, I said to my wife, uh, you might as well go get a table because you know, I'm gonna be a minute. And I just asked this guy, stopped him right there on the street and said, you know, why are you homeless? And he went on to tell me how he was a veteran and when he got back from the military, it was hard for him to fit back into society. One thing led to another, and he ended up uh, in this dark place from situations and circumstances. And it was at that moment where I asked him, well, do you want to be homeless? He said, well, no. I said, well, why don't we believe right now for a house? And I invited him to victory. I was able to minister with him. I was able to pray with him. But I was also able to give him some tangible steps. And I broke out one of my business cards, has a winning confession on the back of it. And I gave it to him. I said, hey, I want you to read this winning confession every single day. I want you to read it multiple times a day. And I want you to say it like you mean it. I want you to say it, like call those things that are not as if they are. And, and if you do this, I'm going to believe with you right now that the next time I see you, you're not going to be homeless anymore. And it was a great ministry opportunity. I hugged it out. He's crying on my shoulder. It was a beautiful moment. I went in, had my dinner, and um, went on with life. This is about six months ago. Just about four weeks ago, three and a half, four weeks ago, me and my wife, we're going to the same restaurant. We're walking down that same street and I hear JC, JC, JC. And I see this guy pacing at a very fast pace, almost running towards me. We're with friends. I looked at my wife, it was that same guy. I said, hey, you might as well go get a table because I'm gonna be a minute. And this guy ran up to me crying and said, calling his wife over, honey, come here, this is him, this is him. This is the guy that I was telling you about. This is the guy that prayed for me. This is the guy that told me the next time I saw him that we would not be homeless any longer. He said, JC, we're not homeless any longer. Come on. And Yeah, and as this guy cried on my shoulder, he said, I did what you said to do. I, I believed, I, I read this winning confession and, and I'm not homeless. And you know, I thought about it at that moment when I'm ministering this guy, hugging on him. He's crying on my shoulder right there in the middle of downtown. I'm mean, he's yelling it so loud, everybody here. And I thought about it, I said, not only did that guy get a house, but about six months ago, he got hope, right? And I think so many times we're so caught up in our own ways, pastor. Yeah. We're so stuck in our agenda, date night. The busyness of life, what we have going on that we miss the meaning in the moment. The word of God says, do not neglect the gift that is inside of you. Yeah. And I'm on a mission. Every time I show up, like Daniel said, his brother told him, I show up and when I go in a room, I expect that atmosphere to shift. Come on. If you interact with me, I expect your life will never be the same. Imagine if we all showed up knowing that the same God, that same power, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead yes. lives inside of you, that you could touch somebody and they could be whole, that you could say one word to somebody and shift the entire atmosphere, the entire reality of their life through you. So don't ignore the meaning in the moment. There's people every single day that you cross paths with at your workplace, in your house, at Quick Trip, on the street, going on a date night, that need what you have. Do not neglect the gift that is inside of you. So good, so good. Now I wanna ask you this question. What stops me, what stops you, what stops us from being a neighbor? What stops us from being the neighbor Jesus has called us to be? I think the first thing, Coach JC just hit on it, being too busy. How many have a busy schedule right now? You got a lot on your plate. Yeah, me too. Four kids, basketball practice, church activities, school, all of it, it's a lot. But sometimes we live so busy, we miss the people that are right in front of us to help. And it could be the very thing God uses to launch us into that new thing he wants to do in our lives. Like I remember hearing this story about this successful businessman, just got a brand new car, he's driving home and he has to drive through this poor part of town as he's going home. He's driving past some of these uh, apartment complexes that very just impoverished area in the city. And as he's driving by, this little boy starts running out, shouting, stop, stop, he's waving his arms. The successful businessman pretends to not see him, keeps driving. The only problem was there was a stoplight right there and it was red, so he had to stop. All of a sudden he hears this thud against his brand new car. He jumps out of his car and a brick has slammed and caused a dent in his new car. He looks at the little boy, realizing that the little boy is the one who threw it. He said, you juvenile delinquent, you're gonna pay for this or go to jail. The little boy began to cry. He said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry. My mom is lying on the floor in the apartment and she's dying and they've cut the phones off in our apartment. And I've been trying to flag someone down for the last 15 minutes 
I had to do something to get somebody to stop and help me. He said, so take me to jail, but please call a doctor for my mom. Call a doctor. And the man said, I am a doctor. Where's your mom? The man was filled with shame. He went into the apartment, got down and administered CPR. The son said, is my mom gonna live? The man called an ambulance. He said, son, your mom's gonna live. He said, okay, then it was worth it. Take me to jail, I'm sorry. The man said, son, you're not going to jail. He said, I'm gonna take care of you. He took care of the young man, took care of the mom and paid for everything they needed that month. He said, I intentionally left the dent in my car. I didn't get it fixed. Because I wanted to look at that dent every day and say, God, help me to not be so busy that you gotta throw a brick at my car to get my attention, to show compassion to my own neighbors. God whispers to us. He whispers in our hearts. He says, stop, love on those people. Like I remember when my wife and I, we had our first kid. In fact, when we moved into our first apartment, our our condo, um, there was these two brothers. They were playing football outside and just felt this nudge, go play football with these boys. So I go play with them, find out they're uh, living with their single mom and, and they're in this apartment complex. And I used to give them rides to school at Jinx. They were Jinx Trojans. And the older brother was a couple years older than the younger brother. And then the day came where we moved out of that area. We moved into a house. Long story short, the house we moved into happened to be right next door to this little boy's grandparents. And the grandparents, they opened up their house for the brothers and their mom to move in with them. So now I'm his neighbor again for the second time. And uh, that same year, Daniel's brother took his life, committed suicide as a teenager. Our world is hurting and they need gentleness. They need kindness. So Daniel was just heartbroken over his brother, not, and not to make things even worse, but his, his grandma passed away and then his grandpa passed away all within that same year. And I would go in and out of our house. We had just had our baby boy, Liam. I'd have my AirPods in, my, my headphones in. I'd be listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, Jensen Franklin, just getting filled with the word. And God convicted me, he said, take your earphones out. You don't need to hear another sermon. You need to live the sermon right in front of you and be a neighbor to Daniel. Go over and love, like God was throwing a brick at me. And I remember pulling out my headphones and seeing Daniel shooting hoops. And I went over and started playing basketball with Daniel. And every night we'd play and he'd say, man, I I had to go to Shadow Mountain again this week. I got in trouble at school. I'm just having trouble. And I'm going to the boys' home, to Shadow Mountain, just pray for me, Paul. I'd pray for him. Daniel was 15 years old now, and I'd now known him for almost five years and just felt so heartbroken. And I would just encourage him, Daniel, things are gonna get better. Things are gonna, this is not the end. Your best days are still in front of you. Invite him to our church. He wasn't coming. And um, he said, do you think I could go to Victory Christian School someday? Would they take a kid like me? I said, man, if you're serious about it, we would, we would. He said, yeah, the only problem is we can't afford it. We, we can barely afford to pay the bills to stay in our house, my grandparents' house right now. I said, well, let's pray that God's gonna open a door. So I found out there was an open house at our school, Victor Christian School. We were doing like an open house, big meeting, and they were gonna do a scholarship drawing. I said, Daniel, just come to it. I kid you not, I did not rig this. Daniel won the scholarship to come to our school. He called me, he said, Paul, I won the scholarship. I'm going to victory. His mom was so happy. Daniel needs this. Later on that year, he said, I want to go on a missions trip with your church. Can I come on a missions trip? He signed up, raised the money. People supported him. He said, man, I'm not going to be able to come to victory next year. We can't afford it. Someone stepped up and said, I want to sponsor Daniel for the rest of his years at victory so that he can graduate from Victory Christian School. He graduated last year free from depression, free from addictions, free from suicidal thoughts. Daniel, I don't know if you're here today. Is Daniel in the room? He was in the last service. But Daniel, if you're here, I just want you to know this. This was so powerful. Daniel ended up getting a scholarship to go to Victory Bible College. He's living in the Victory dorms. He's excelling. He's succeeding. His life has been changed. But we've got to stop being so busy and see the neighbors right in front of us. I think the second thing that stops us is we're selfish. If we're really honest, there's a lot of selfishness in the Christian camp. And, and we just, and it's not a, like, listen, I'm not saying that we're going to hell for it. I'm just saying we're, 
we're missing people that are headed there. And we've got to get off of our own self-absorbed mentality and go, maybe I should help some people this week. Maybe I should stop worrying about how many likes I got on Instagram and go and serve and love the people that are right around me. Iman, you had a great word on this. You were talking about um, just where our society is at and just the, the need to lift up. Yeah, I think it's so easy for all of us to be focused on our iPhone and looking down. You know, we all, if you look around you when you're out anywhere, everyone's looking down. Everyone's scrolling and scrolling and looking down and looking through other people's lives. And you're scrolling through the lives of your neighbors rather than engaging in the lives of your neighbors. So good. And it, you know, that we all can improve on that. And I just think it's so important that we not be so focused on what's happening on our phones, but to begin to look up and look out. And I think about how the word says, look up the harvest, look out, the harvest is right in front of you. Come on. And I can be honest and share, since we've been here, there have been moments where I made a decision to put my phone away and go in and just be mindful of who's around me. And God has opened up opportunities to share the gospel. And I have seen people get saved because my phone was put away. Come and on. because I opened my eyes to see the people around me. And so I just want to encourage you all, even just the simple thing of, you know, engaging with someone by their name. Yeah. Look at, when you're at Target, look at someone's name tag. Yeah. and engage and talk to them and say, oh, hey, hey, Joe, nice to meet you. How's your day going? Like you did at the pizza place. And you just never know where that conversation can lead. Yeah. It can lead to an eternal decision for Christ. And so it's so important that we not just look down, but begin to look up and see Come the on. neighbors around us. Everybody say, look up. Charmaine, you had a great story on this of looking up and loving the neighbor right in front of you. Yes. I received a phone call from a lady I'd never met before, and she was calling the church for help. And she said, can the church help me? My husband is 100% disabled, and I'm his caretaker, and I'm trying to lift him up, and I can't move him. I don't have anybody. And my heart just really went out to her at that time. And so we were able to get her that help that she needed, but I realized she needs community. She needs encouragement. She needs, you know, somebody to reach out to her during this time. Yeah. And so uh, she called me a little bit later. Well, well, first of all, I went over there and we uh, prayed, had communion. The husband took communion. It was so beautiful. And then she called me just a little bit later to say my sister passed away. And I said, when is the funeral? I'm coming. A little bit after that, the husband passed away. And she called again. Said, my husband, he's gone. And I said, I'm coming. And I remember just during that time checking on her. She would call me, I would call her, I would go visit her, making sure she was okay. Yeah. And just I think a couple of weeks ago, she was in the hospital. And I went up to pray with her and to see her. And you know, it just really put on my heart. I was thinking, Jesus said before he died, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He gave us family. He said, you will have family in this time. Come on. And you know, I realized when we reach out to someone, that's family that God is giving us. Come on. That lady introduced me at that funeral to every member of her family that hadn't met me and said, this is my goddaughter. And then later I realized my mom is gone. My grandmother's gone. I didn't even realize I had a need. But just reaching out to her Come on. and being that friend, that family I member, I received family. I love it. And so, you know, I thank God for that opportunity. And I encourage you, if you just reach out, just take that moment to see about someone else. God may have a blessing in that for you, that you get your need met. So good. Oh, and she is here this morning. Is she here? She hasn't been able to come to church. For Where's she at? Her. She's right on the front row. 
Come on, so glad you're here this morning. I love it. Hey, oh man, this is so good. Are you guys enjoying this as much as I am? I just got the Mr. Rogers vibes going on up here. It's just, it's like soup for the soul. It's so good. Kaylee, you made a decision when you came here. Kaylee's single, by the way. So if there's any mighty men of God in the house, you need to step it up. All applications but Kaylee, have to go through you, though. Yeah, that's right. Kaylee, um, tell them what God spoke to you when you came here. Yeah, so when I came here, all of my friends were young adults, and so I felt led to start going to the 9 a.m. service. And so I sat by a 90-year-old woman, and that day she prayed for me and literally read my mail. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sit by her every single week now. And so for the last three years, I have been sitting on a row where I'm the youngest by probably 30 years, and I call them my golden girls. They're who I sit with. The golden girls. Yes, I love that show, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, it's it's just amazing the relationship we have. We pray for each other, we encourage each other, we email because they don't text, but and we we um, we just are there for each other. We've become family and I just wanna encourage each and every one of you, if you aren't sitting by somebody's from a different generation, like find that mentor, find someone you can be a so mentor good. to. And your life will be changed because of it. And so I had to make that effort to choose to sit by that person. Don't sit alone. Find somebody that you can sit with each and every week. So good, so practical. And I challenge all of us to do that. And next Sunday for Friendsgiving, I want you to sit together and do what we're doing right here. Talk about what it means to be a neighbor. Open up the conversation. Say, who was a neighbor in your life? What did they do? Why did they have such a great impact on you? Give these guys a big hand as they go back to their seats. Incredible job. Now hold steady, I'm almost done, but you don't wanna miss this last part. This last part's really good. When this guy came to Tulsa, he moved here from South Korea, his name was Wu Wan, and I lived here for a year before I ever really noticed him. And that's sad, but we were in the same school and we were on a mission trip to Mexico. And I really wanted to room with some of my close friends, but my team leaders didn't place me in that room. They placed me in a room with Wu Wan. So I started talking to Wu Wan and he said, You know, I miss my family, I miss my brothers, sisters, I miss my mom and dad, I've been living in the United States, so I'm listening to them. On the last night of the missions trip, we're standing in this room, and I just feel this nudge in my heart, God whispers, and I just felt like, go and just hug Wuwan. Tell him that you love him, that God loves him. I'm 16 years old, so I go over there, I'm like, God loves you, man. Put my hand, you know, around his, I didn't wanna be too awkward. You know, my insecurities were just, you know, flaring up. And all of a sudden, Wu Wan just leans in and he bear hugs me and just puts his head on my chest, begins to weep. And here we are, two 16-year-old dudes just hugging each other, bear hugging for 20 minutes. And he backs away from me. He says, you're the first American to hug me. He said, I've been living here for a year and you're the first American to hug me. He said, thank you. I really needed that. And our, our, our world just needs love. Our world needs compassion. This one guy, he was climbing a mountain, going to the top of Mount Everest, and he was an hour and a half away from the top when all of a sudden he saw a body on the side that was just curled up in the snow. And he thought, I could go to the top or I could stop and help this man on the side. He decided to stop and help the man on the side, went over to him and the man was freezing to death. He had become unconscious. So this mountain climber began to massage his back, massage his calves, his his muscles here, got his blood flowing, got the man awake. He decided, I'm gonna forsake going to the top so I can save this man's life. He brought him down to the base camp. The doctor began to check him out. The doctor could tell the mountain climber was kind of discouraged because he had worked his whole life to be able to climb to the top of Mount Everest. He said, man, I know you wanna get to the top, but let me tell you something. If you wouldn't have stopped, this man would have died. Because you stopped, you saved his life. However, what you didn't know is that your body was starting to go into hypothermia. If you would have kept climbing to the top, you would have made it to the top, but you would have died on the top. Because you stopped to save him, you saved yourself in the process. You never lose when you help others win. You never lose when you stop to love someone on your right and on your left. Church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? If you're here today and you've just been discouraged, maybe you're just in a situation where you just need hope, You need God to get involved. Maybe you came here today, you're in need of his healing, his restoration, his grace. Things seem hopeless, like you just need the Holy Spirit power to get involved in your situation. 
The enemy's been trying to weigh you down with defeat, discouragement, hopelessness. And today, God's trying to breathe life into you. He's saying, I see you. I hear you. I see your tears. I know what you're going through, and I've got you. God's got this. You're not alone in your battle. You're not alone in your struggle. If you just need more of God's help in your life right now, you've just been overwhelmed, I want to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand. You could just use some God power in your life, some help from the Holy Spirit, from the church, just rising up saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my husband? Pray for my mom. Pray for my son. Pray for my, would you pray for us? We've just been going through a lot lately. I want to pray for you today. Secondly, you're here and you say, Paul, I was really convicted in the sermon that I can be a better neighbor to the people that are right in front of me, that I can reach out, love them, invite them to church, bring them with me next week, bring them. I, I was convicted today to give more attention to the people around me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. God was speaking to you to just shake off some selfishness, shake off some busy schedules so that way you can be available for what God wants to use you to do this week. If you raised your hand for either of those, I want you to leave your seat. Come and join me at the altar. I'm right here with you. And the power of God is about to touch you. The grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. He's a good neighbor. He's a good father. He he loves you. He's not mad at you. If you need the forgiveness of God, come on down to the altar. His forgiveness, His mercies are new every morning. If you need a second chance, if you need a fresh start, come on down today. Can we cheer on the brave men, brave women that are coming down to the altar today? That's a big step to leave your seat and come all the way down to the altar. And as they're coming down, I want some of our strong prayer warriors to come and stand behind and beside each person that no one would be alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. God's going to show up. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's going to meet your needs. You're not alone. He is El Shaddai. He's your protector. He's your healer. He is your defender. He's the defender of the orphan and the widow. He's the defender of the single parent mom. He's the defender today of those who are struggling, the discouraged, the afflicted, the heartbroken. God says there's hope for you. I just bind the spirit of hopelessness. I bind the spirit of suicide. I bind that spirit of, of hurt and anger. And today I just speak peace in this place, joy in this place. The atmosphere is changing now. Hearts are changing now. Love is coming in. Every stronghold of anxiety and panic and stress God says, don't you worry about that. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? God says, I want you to cast your cares on me. Just release it. Some of you have been carrying a lot this week. If you've been carrying just a, a, a lot lately, I want you to raise your hand. God's about to lift it off your, your back today. Some of you aren't even at the altar, but you've been carrying a lot. You've got a load. Lord, I pray for my family. I pray for your family, God. This is your family. These are your sons and daughters. And Satan, I rebuke you from trying to mess with their minds and their hearts and their emotions. Lord, I just thank you. They're gonna make it. They're gonna get through this. They're gonna get stronger. The best is yet to come. You're about to intervene in situations that seem too big, hopeless. God, I thank you that you're breathing hope into this place. You're doing spiritual CPR. You're saying there's still life inside you. There's still hope, there's still purpose. God, I pray in Jesus' name that they would leave today with less of a burden. Just take it off your back. Just, just act like you're just pulling it off. The Holy Spirit's coming behind you saying, let me just relieve you of that stress. Let me relieve you of that anxiety. Let me relieve you of that depression you've been carrying. Choose today. And I believe as you administer compassion, God's going to administer even greater healing in your life. As you start showing love and giving out, God's gonna start releasing greater joy in your spirit, greater peace in your spirit. God's saying, look up, look up. Don't look too down, don't look too much down on your screen. That screen can zap you of life. Just keep your eyes up for a while. Keep your hope up. He's with you. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Thank you for your kindness your gentleness, your unconditional love. I receive it today. I receive your healing power. Lord, I thank you that you're breaking off every weight 
that's been weighing me down. And you're breathing life, love, grace into my soul. Lord, not only do I receive it, I choose to release it to the people around me. Help me to love people the way that you love me. Lord, help me to live loved so that I can give love. I receive it and I will release it. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, church. God loves you. You are so valuable.